Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. Joining me today is Adam Vitali. Hello. Hello. And we got James Guzio. On a brand new mic. On a brand new mic, you sound a million times better. And it's been a while since all three of us have been on a podcast, I'll also point out, because it's either me and James, me and Seda, not as much us three together. At least it hasn't been for a little bit. I've noticed. Also, last couple of weeks, we haven't been able to do a podcast because you had to travel, and then Extra Life was last weekend, so yeah, kind of got in the way. Actually, so we did a podcast, I think we did a podcast, yeah, we did uh, two weeks ago, and then two weeks before, right. that was the, yeah, we basically like leapfrogged two podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've had to miss a podcast for any particular reason, but uh, the hype train tells us why, but um yeah, as you mentioned, I did Extra Live 2018 last weekend, and that was an ordeal. And so it was me, Liz, and former staff member, <laughs> Other Adam. Um, Liz played through Dragon Quest Three, or at least a big chunk of it anyway, uh, while I played a few different games. Valhalla, which I've been meaning to play for the longest time. Uh, Deltarune, which is that quote-unquote Undertale sequel, which is not a sequel, but it's it's just a you know the next game from Toby Fox. That was... A hell of a trip, and I had a great time with that game, and I posted that to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash rpgsitenet, so people should check that out. I'll have the other videos up soon. I locally recorded Valhalla, but for some reason, I'm having a lot lot of uh, rendering issues on Premiere, and so I think I'm just going to go ahead and use Twitch's sort of compressed uh, recording and post that to our YouTube channel, so hopefully that'll be up this weekend. And I also played Little Nightmares. Um, I think Adam, the other Adam, talked about playing that before. I don't know if either of you guys have played it. I have not. No? Yeah. So um, it's basically like inside uh, the people, the game from the people that made Limbo. Um, a lot of the same type of design decisions, a lot of like side scrolling, but with uh, you know deep background, like uh, like three D backgrounds and stuff like that. Like it's got like I guess you would call it two point five D, where you interact with the environment. In this case, the game is a lot like. Um, the Borrowers or Secret World of Arietti, if people have seen that Ghibli movie. Uh, so you're just like a little tiny girl surrounded by these gigantic humans, I guess. And a lot of them are kind of mutated as well. But yeah, it kind of plays into that thing where um, you're just a, like a tiny fish inside of a huge pond. And so, yeah, that was uh, it was quite the trip and it was a great game. And I look forward to whatever those guys make next. But um, yeah. That'll be up on the YouTube channel pretty soon as well. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess I just will just mention the only other game I played since our last podcast was some more Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm having a great time with. And uh, currently moving on to playing those Persona dancing games. That's kind of my next uh, project that I can't talk about right now, but I will in due time. So that's kind of it. Uh, James, what were you up to? Um, Finished Mub Love Unlimited, and I finally started reading Alternative. But besides that, and since I don't really want to talk about it because the entire premise of Alternative is a big spoiler, I'll just uh, stop there. Sure. Awesome. Well, that was easy enough. But yeah, as you said, these are massive, massive games. So talking to any kind of spoilers about them is a big no-no. Just like spoilers in RPGs. It's like, why? Why would you do that when, you know, spending 40, 50 hours on a game uh, to have something be spoiled at the last minute? That sucks. Uh, what about you, Adam? So after, <laughs> oh, sorry, I just saw your comment. Okay, 
Wait, what? No. <laughs> the comment in the uh, podcast app, a document. Never yeah. mind. Go ahead. No. Uh, so after kind of the September deluge of RPGs that like Dragon Quest, Valkyria, I played Labyrinth of Refrain, all those games. Yeah. I, I've been playing a couple of the re-releases that have been coming out recently. Um, one of them was Resonance of Fate, which is a, a Tri-Ace game. So Tri-Ace, they hear uh, Star Ocean these days. Yeah. But they also have made a, they made Valkyrie Profile, which is also an excellent game. It's probably their best game, to be honest. Um, but Resonance of Fate uh, is a, was a PS3, Xbox 360 game uh, last gen. And so it's about eight years old, and they re-released it on PC. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that it's it's self-published by Triace instead of being, you know, like a Sega joint. Um, I think that was kind of unexpected that Triace would just kind of throw their own game up there. Yeah. Not, not only that they could, but that they were able to. Like Sega, I guess, doesn't control that. Um, but Residents of Fate, is, it's, if you don't know anything about it, the one thing you might know is that your characters like are wielding pistols and machine guns and are like flipping through the air, shooting and stuff. Uh, but I, the first time I played the game, I felt it was a little bit repetitive in terms of once you sort of figure out a pattern that works in battle, like how you actually deal damage, once you actually kind of figure out the game, you basically just do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, more so than, you know, Typical, what you might typically expect in an RPG combat system. The thing with Resonance of Fate is that it doesn't really change much from hour three to hour thirty. There's there's not really a whole lot of progression besides just getting like stronger guns. Uh, so it kind of makes it feel stale. And I I wanted to replay it to see like do I still feel that way? Um, and when it comes to like the combat things of the game, I do. It's it it I don't I didn't really change my mind on it. It's it's like cool and flashy for a couple of hours, but then you kind of realize it's like how often and how repetitive you see that um, it doesn't really grow or change or progress as, as you continue through the game. But one thing I ended up being a lot more fond of the second time around was how it presents its story. Now, the first time I played this game back on the PS3, mm-hmm. the story confused me. It's uh, and it confused, I think a fair number of people because of the way it's told it's, very low exposition. It doesn't actually tell the player much directly. How the how the game actually like proceeds. Actually, f- before I go further, have either of you played this? I don't know. Yeah. If... Okay. I have not, but I've seen a ton of story scenes from the game from watching someone else's playthrough, and so I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, I didn't know. Like, okay, so I, can't, I won't expect you to bounce off of me. Uh, with no, your it's, own it's like okay. it's like a series of vignettes more than anything. It's a weird approach for sure yeah so like the game follows these three characters vacheron zephyr and leanne and they're basically like a mercenary group but not just mercenaries they kind of do all sorts of odds and ends even stuff is like pick up this medicine that's in this dangerous vault uh in this icy place um and on the surface you're just kind of doing these chores and that's it but when you as you progress through the game there's most of the story of like the world building in this game, it's in a world called Basil. And you, all you're shown as a player is that you're like on a tower in, the, in like the middle of this field. And it's, there's no vegetation, no like trees or grass or anything like that. And uh, there's kind of this hierarchy that, you know, the, the, uh, the rich nobles live on the upper levels where the lower you go, the more uh, like seedier low town type of, people and you know uh basically populations live Mm -hmm. and 
you don't it, the game doesn't really explain any of this like there is no exposition in the world of battle blah 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 you just throughout the game there's basically a bunch of conversations between characters and the characters speak to each other as if they know what they're talking about but you the player kind of don't really know what they're talking about and you kind of have to get it from context clues you kind of have to just figure it out from how they're saying it how characters are reacting um and their behaviors and things like that and so it's it's very low exposition now i think playing it a second time kind of helps because I was already somewhat familiar with the game and kind of getting a refresher, already knowing certain things. Um, but I ended up re- being really appreciative of how it actually tells the story without kind of hitting, you know, a hammer over the player's head yeah. in terms of like, this is, this is what's happening. And this is why this character is acting this way. Um, <laughs> and it's, it also doesn't over explain things. Yeah. Uh, like there's, for example, there's this one character. This is this is a minor spoiler, very minor. Skip ahead twenty seconds, if you want. Uh, that a character sprouts wings at one point, and to be quite honest, they never really explain that. But kind of playing through it again, it's, I feel like it's one of those things that it doesn't really need to be explained. It's it's there's it like a very low level baseline explanation for it, but it doesn't have to be like over like analyzed. This is why this happened. No, and I actually kind of appreciate that. <laughs> um, but. Uh, on, overall, actually, not a whole lot like happens in the game in terms of like actual like plot points because a lot of it is sort of just this history that you're kind of learning about as you're going through the game, and then there's kind of this big climax at the end that sort of changes how everything works. Um, and I did, I just I gained an appreciation for that playing it through a second time. Um, how it basically treats the player with some respect to, to how to figuring out what's going on in the story. But otherwise, I think it's only an average game after all that. Um, yeah. With a cool premise. So, Honestly, and maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but I feel like I remember those games that might not do many things like amazingly, but definitely try to do like a few things differently. I, I feel like I remember those types of games a bit more. Like Solotorobo is one of my favorite games on the DS, but for all intents and purposes, it's not an amazing game. But like the world building in that one and how it how unique it is, just it it's easy to remember it, warts and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a, it's definitely one of those types of games. It's it's yeah. definitely one with a lot of like slapstick humor, but some serious moments as well. But that's definitely what I got there too. Is that it does a great job and not as you said overextending itself, over-communicating, over-contextualizing everything. Uh, it doesn't get too deep into the exposition, which is what I really appreciate because games get worse, I feel, when they try to do something like that, explain why something's happening or why it should exist or you know why they came to that decision. All it should really take is a look at each other and a nod and like, okay, something obviously happened. Oh, okay. It's like they don't treat their player base as idiots, <laughs> which I, I like. I When I saw someone playing this game... Um, I enjoyed it more for the for those reasons. Um, I want to like give an example of what I'm talking about, but almost everything I can think of is a spoiler. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess. I mean, people. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say one. Now, sure. this is sort of a spoiler. It's it's kind of clued into the first cutscene of the game, but it's not really extrapolated on until later. Again, if this really bothers you, which I doubt it will, I'll just skip ahead like a minute or two. Um, so one of the characters, Zephyr. Now, this is a spoiler. Sorry, 
if you guys didn't know this, but Zephyr is a murderer. Before the events of the game, he kills basically people in a church. Now, Leanne doesn't know this. And there's this point, Vacheron does. Now, there's this point where you go to visit the church that is now basically a memorial. And you basically, uh, Leanne, Leanne thinks that Zephyr is like a survivor or that he was basically went to that um, went to that church or there's it like, it's like a church school type of place. Yeah. And then like when, the, when Leanne and Leanne and Vacheron are entering this, this basically this memorial now and Zephyr is not there. Uh, Leanne basically at one point realizes, wait, Zephyr wasn't, uh, wasn't a worshiper here. And uh, Vacheron replies hardly. And then basically Anne realizes what that means. If he wasn't the worshiper or a worshiper, but he was there, what does that mean? He was the murderer. But they don't tell they don't say that. At no point in the game do they actually say Zephyr killed these people. You basically just the dialogue there basically says it without saying it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's it's actually kind of an interesting scene, the way that Vacheron says hardly, and then kind of Leanne's eyes lights up like holy shit. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so it's like there's lots there's moments like that where it doesn't really say it outright, but it says it still, and I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it's that you know people should really give this a game a try anyway, uh, just to see what it's like for themselves. But like you said, it's like once you figure out the systems, that may seem complicated at first. Once you find a routine, it kind of becomes basic. But at least the story's there to keep you involved and the game's not that expensive so and considering the time frame we're in right now we're getting closer to like the the steam sales and stuff like that and gog and humble and stuff like that for their uh, holiday sales so it might be a good time to pick that up i think there's a rule if i'm not mistaken that i forget if it's steam it might be steam that you can't have a sale on a game at a uh, until like a certain time frame after it's been out so I think that's why you don't see a lot of like brand new games get a discount other than like the launch week stuff, you know. So uh, by the time there is that Steam winter sale, whatever it happens to be, uh, if you people are like not sure about it, it's still worth a buy, even if it's on discount. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, all we got as far as the top. So let's get into the news of the past two weeks in this case. So the first thing we're going to discuss here is something that was... Uh, out of nowhere, to be honest, um, other than the people that knew, I guess. But anyway, uh, so Square Enix, a couple weeks ago, announced that they were going to have, like, a, uh, I think they called it a special program uh, for Final Fantasy XV. And so this past week, uh, just a couple days ago, in fact, they held that Final Fantasy XV stream. Everyone was assuming that they were just going to talk about the four different episodes that they had coming out. Um, instead, I mean, let me just jump in and oh. say that. Let me jump in and say that this is sort of like late because they announced these episodes a, a while ago and they actually said that um, the Comrade standalone expansion was going to come out this last summer and it never did. So it's kind of like, oh, now we're finally going to hear more about it. All right. That's, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll tune in and see what they have to say. Yeah. So but, let's let's briefly just mention what actually went down. And so the first that we found out was the biggest news. As we hear the dogs in the background are also starting to get a little upset, so that's understandable. Um, 
Hajime Tabata, the director of Final Fantasy XV, announced that he's leaving Square Enix. He's departing the company and Luminous Studios as well. Um, but that, you know, that goes hand in hand. In any case, he basically said that he had this idea for a big project in, in mind. And he found that, you know, once he's... He spent all this time in Final Fantasy XV and now he feels like it's a good time to move on and start his own studio to make that project a reality, whatever that happens to be. Um, I don't know if it, it sounds to me like Square Enix was doing their best to keep him on the company, maybe giving him a, a bunch of different incentives, um, because as soon as like they made this announcement, they proceeded to basically say, you know, okay, you know that second season of DLC we, we were planning for 2019? A lot of that has been canceled. And so we found out that three out of the four episodes that they promised, uh, which these the ones that were we found out were canceled, was the episode Lunafreya, episode Noctis, and the episode Side Story Arania. So all three of those have been canceled. The only thing they kept was uh, episode Arden. And so that'll be coming out sometime in March 2019, and it'll be preceded by an anime short. So kind of like when they did the... Uh, what's the anime episode? Brotherhood. Brotherhood, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so in this case, it's going to be called Episode Arden Prologue, which I assume will still be like maybe A1 Studios since they worked on the, uh, the Brotherhood ones. So all they said is March 2019 for that. Uh, along with that, they announced that the episode... Excuse me, the Final Fantasy XV Comrades, that standalone that you're talking about, Adam that was supposed to be out this summer, that update uh, is instead going to be out on December 12th. And so the standalone version of Comrades, which if people don't know, that's the multiplayer component of 15 that lets you make your own avatar and uh, partake in a bunch of different quests. The console versions, the PS4 and the Xbox One versions, will get a standalone release. On the PC, it won't just because the 15 Windows Edition already came with that. Um, And so uh, that'll be something you can just, you know, play. Uh, on the consoles, you have to spend ten bucks to get that standalone version, and you have to update to that new client. So you can't just you know. Well, go ahead. just to clarify, if you already own like Comrades, like as it is on consoles right now, you can download Comrades, like the new version, for free. Oh, okay. And yeah, same with PC. Now PC, that's your only option. Now on consoles, you can if you don't own anything Final Fantasy fifteen, you can buy the Comrades basically standalone for ten bucks. Yes. Uh, and so we should also not- mention that uh, James, it sounds like you were going to say something, but let me just quickly say uh, before I move to you that the Windows Edition they've effectively canceled any further development of that version. Which, I mean, considering what they did to Nier Automata, it's not too surprising that they just don't put much effort into the PC releases. Uh, but that is uh, a bit of a shock, and so it means that they won't be getting anything outside of the Comrade stuff. So, does that mean? Adam, if you can maybe clarify, does that mean they're not going to get episode Arden at all, or no, they are. Okay. That, that's coming out to all platforms. Just don't get patches like that, right? Well, as far as I understand, for the PC thing, the main thing will factor like no further mod tools. Yeah, um, that's so. So maybe the fan community will be able to make up for that anyway, because you know they've already done a ton of stuff for that stuff. But James, uh, before I move on, you were going to say something. I was just going to mention the mod tools. Um, on a never oh. note, because of that, uh, there's already a mod on the uh, uh, Steam Workshop, basically making memorial for uh, Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> That's, so That's so sad. That's so sad. Oh yeah. So 
the last bit of news uh, before, you know, if you guys want to discuss anything further regarding this, I figured we just, you know, get through the, the updates anyway. Uh, they also announced that Final Fantasy 15 will be receiving a Final Fantasy 14 collaboration <sighs> event. So, of course, there's been other collaborations in the past, what with Assassin's Creed and all. But this one, um, it'll be out on December 12th. It's called Adventurer from Another World. And the exp- explanation is that where Mysterious Makoti arrives from the world of Final Fantasy 14 after clearing the quest, which involves taking down the primal Garuda, uh, Noctis and company will receive new Final Fantasy 14 inspired outfits. It looks like the video we have is down, so we're going to have to fix that later, but we'll have that up by the time you guys are listening to this. Oh, I, I saw them re-upload that. I wonder if they they must have mixed, had a mistake Changed or something. Changed the code. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we got some pictures, and you have Noctis apparently continuing to Mikoti, so that's weird. Uh, there was a message from uh, Yoshida. Uh, he had a little message about the fact that they were working on this for a while, so yeah... I think the big thing we can say is that, yeah, Hajime Tabata, he's gone. He's the guy who directed, uh, you know, Crisis Core and Type Zero, of course, in Final Fantasy XV after taking over from Nomura. And so it's clear that he is not working on Final Fantasy XVI, if that was ever the in the books. Um, can only imagine that another one of the directors here. I don't think, I would assume Nomura's not working on that because he's got his hands full with Kingdom Hearts three and I guess the Final Fantasy VII remake, if that ever comes out. Personally, at this point, I honestly wouldn't mind if they just straight out, or I would not be surprised if they canceled the Final Fantasy VII remake, just because, like at this point, I'm so happy with the set with Seven as it is, and the idea that people would just be complaining about the stuff that's missing in the remake, and it'd be like, okay, let's just get ahead of that. But yeah, and there was the recent news that Square Enix said that a lot of their big titles underperformed. Um, Octopath Traveler, uh, uh, the the new Tomb Raider game. I I should clarify this. I should clarify this. They did not say that anything underperformed or didn't meet expectations. What they said was that in the quarter which Octopath Traveler and Shadow of Tomb Raider sold, yeah. they sold the the revenue they got was lower than last year. That is literally all they said. So, so what was last year? They, I can't. I guess it was last there. year they had. Um, so now this is a Japanese company, of course. So last year they had Zodiac Age for PS4. Oh, they had yeah. Dragon Quest XI in Japan. Um, one second. Uh, let me look this up. This but yeah, they basically, they basically said is that the revenues are down from last year. Now, that doesn't really give us any indication of what their expectations were. In fact, they said that they're not adjusting their forecast. So in, if anything, they met expectations that not enough that they're, they're not changing them. Oh, okay, but, okay, that's good. But, um, yeah. So what, what they did mention was that that uh, the, the the Octopath and Shadow of the Tomb Raider in that quarter revenues were down. So it's not quite that they underperformed to expectations, although you know that's a possibility. But it's just, that's not something they really said outright. I mean, if you think about the fact that you've got Octopath Traveler. Uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Dragon Quest XI, like these games, the, the revenue should have been up. You know, it should not have been like the same. It should have gone up based on the fact that these are two, three big titles that were highly anticipated. Octopath is kind of, you know, it's kind of difficult to say just because I think people are still kind of, you know, hesitant on that game just because of what it is. And of course, it's like a very niche kind of 
product anyway, even if it did, you know, it was, it's acclaimed and it sold well from all I know. Dragon Quest Eleven, um, though, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I mean, come on. Like, that should have been the stuff that maybe improved now, for s- It's hard to say. Well, for some reason, they didn't uh, include any commentary on uh, Dragon Quest Eleven's localization release. Yeah. Like, it, it's literally not mentioned at all. So... <laughs> I think most people have like crunched the numbers and it seems likely that Octopath has outsold uh, Dragon Quest in the West. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, for people like us, Dragon Quest 11 is a big deal, but you also have to understand that unfortunately in the West, Dragon Quest 11 isn't a big sell. Well, Dragon Quest isn't normally a big seller. I think the fact that Octopath is a Nintendo exclusive and it kind of sells sort of like as a Nintendo game helps too. Yeah, a lot of the promotion from that. You know, it makes you think that if they had only released Dragon Quest XI also on Switch at the same time, they could have rode the excitement around that platform. Uh, not just, you know, obviously putting it on PC and PS4 is huge for them. I mean, PC especially, because come on. Uh, but not putting on the Switch as well, where there's so, still a lot of fervor around that platform. I think they maybe missed something there. So who knows? Maybe when it does come to the Switch, it'll be a lot of excitement around that. I mean, I still think they should have localized the 3DS release because that I think that platform still has some big numbers behind it. But anyway, uh, that's just something that I uh, heard about, and it makes you wonder what's going to happen. Um, but enough of that because <laughs> that's a lot of speculation, and honestly, uh, we have now, to wait till maybe... Now, one thing I... Oh, go ahead. But, sorry, before we continue to the next topic, I don't know, maybe this is what you're getting at, and maybe I just preempted you, but I think Tabata leaving, uh, I saw some people kind of speculating that he was, like, canned effectively, but it's no. pretty much the opposite of that. It feels like he left on his own volition, that he was not happy with how Square Enix wanted to basically go forward with him and Lumina Studios and all that, and he just decided to basically go, you know, freelance. Now, I don't know if he has a plan or what he wants to do. I know what he said in his message that he basically wants to um, start a new studio for his new project. Yeah, it sounds like he may have pitched but, that product to Square Enix and they turned him down. And so he decided that it'd be, it'd be for the best that, as you said, he probably wasn't happy in his position. He wanted to move on. It's like a Tory. It's like, okay, the direct, you've got the director of Final Fantasy 12 and he's not really doing much for the company at this point. He's just kind of there. And like, I imagine Tabata's like, you know, I've, I put out some big games for Square Enix. I think it's important if I go independent. Maybe he was swayed by people who have left Square Enix, like Sakaguchi, for example. I mean, they've become good friends. And so I imagine the whole independent lifestyle maybe was more appealing because it meant he could work on the projects that he wanted to. And he's built up such a name for himself that the recognition he'll be able to get, you know, investors and stuff like that to help him yeah. you know, put in that. I had, to, I had to go back to I, got, I had to go back to his quote to see what he said. He yeah. basically said, start my own business. That's yeah. how he put it. That's 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 um, that's what it seemed like. Yeah. Now, I know however you feel about Final Fantasy 15, you know, what he he was able to take this basically uh troubled project for year that was, you know, kind of vaporware for years and basically wrap it up finish it release it and it sold like seven million copies so that's (laughs) that there's there's something to that it's even regardless of how you feel how the game turned out or how they handled like the post release of it so (laughs) yeah it's he he was a valuable he was a valuable producer for square enix just simply being able to do that so yeah, um, it's when you've got the the product that we're talking about mixed in with the marketing of the game that they insist that there's like a long tail to it. Like I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't have anything to do with that. He just had to plan around the fact that they were making him do it. <laughs> so you know, for what it's worth, um, 
it was still a high quality production. It just, you know, obviously people had some issues with the way some of that stuff was presented, but at least he was pretty transparent about it. And you, it's going to be hard to see what exactly the company will be like going forward because it keeps losing a lot of its, uh, you know, its its faces, I guess, you know, like Nomura's pretty private guy and who knows what he's doing because he's a super perfectionist. Like you said, like a lot of his projects just end up straight up end up going on forever before we ever see them. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, of course, will be big for him. Uh, and it should be pointed out that we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what else was announced later, but Microsoft showed up a new trailer for Kingdom Hearts 3, speaking of which, with uh, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> so that's up on the site, and apparently they have like the English voices, English Zeonhort. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Everyone is being Norded, is what I heard somebody say. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's kind of what's happening in these trailers. Um, they're all turning evil. But yeah, there, there's a lot going on with that company and the fact that all this is happening. I hope that whatever was the case with Octopath, that it doesn't turn them away from making uh, those quote-unquote risks. Because they promised a lot of big Final Fantasy announcements. I think it was supposed to be like this year, or 2019 anyway and the fact that they've canceled all these episodes it makes me hope that at least they still have something else in mind because right well now, it's kind I'm of interesting thinking. because for the longest time like when were they originally announced 2006 yes. noctis and lightning were basically five our image, <laughs> yeah we're basically our image for the, what the future of final fantasy is and obviously the 13 trilogy came out 2009 or whatever um started and then Final Fantasy 15 finally came out last year, and then we kind of had just, you know, okay, they're going to continue supporting Final Fantasy 15 for a while, and now that that's basically done, there's one more episode to go, it's like, what's in the future for Final Fantasy? There's ports for games on Xbox and Switch, Uh, there's a couple of remakes, or remasters with uh, some of their spinoffs, like uh, Chocobo Dungeon and uh, Crystal Chronicles, Chronicles. Uh, so it's like, but like, what's the next final fantasy and what's it going to look like it's just been so long since we've seen what new final fantasy is i guess it might be worth mentioning there's that agnes philosophy thing which kind of they they threw the final fantasy name on that uh, they would just give that up because uh, yeah. people are like maybe this means that he was wanted want to make his own studio because they square Enix offered people to make their own like i games off of their properties and they just will take the rights to them anyway i don't know like part of me thinks that maybe they're canceling these projects so they can divert resources to either 16 or whatever projects they have coming up next year but the fact that like a lot of their big properties that used to be big sellers are kind of being uh you know squashed like just cause 4 is out in a few weeks and that game is most likely going to bomb uh because no one's talking about it square enix is marketing it uh and then deus x is of course on the back burner um, and those two properties by themselves used to be million sellers, you know, like huge. And Tomb Raider, uh, like I said, is just, even if it is selling okay, it's like no one's talking about it. It's like that whole thing is just that no one's really talking about it. Or if they are, it's kind of mixed is from what I've heard. So, you know, Square Enix Poly is going to go through yet another reorganization and we'll see what things are out in 2019, I suppose. But, you know, whatever that it is. I guess we'll find out at the end of the fiscal year what the big plan is, because, man, who knows? Who knows? Um, This isn't Final Fantasy related, but they also have that that Studio Estolia thing. Yeah, the new studio. They they released that teaser trailer around TGS time, which didn't really show much, but uh, for whatever 
the, I don't think the game even has a technical title yet. Project Prelude Rune. Yeah, uh, that's the Hideo Baba project, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just thinking of like what what Square Enix has in store, like on the Japanese side, <laughs> mm. the Kingdom Hearts is obviously like a huge release coming up. So, uh, what was the name of that Platinum Games uh, collaboration they were doing again? Uh, I don't remember. You talking about the the Nintendo one? No, no, the one that Square Enix is doing with uh, Platinum Games. Oh, Babylon's Fall. Yeah, Babylon's Fall. They 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 showed like a, uh like a logo, uh, and I'm trying to remember what they showed at E3. They showed like a logo and like like armored. They're like armored like dudes, right? <laughs> Big armored yeah. guys. I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah. I, uh, speaking of armored guys, I'm pretty sure that Left Alive is probably going to bomb too, because I think that is looking a lot like Front Mission involved. <laughs> so that's the the game from the director of Front Mission. I should mention, no one's really talking about the lion in the room. The fact that back in January, lion in the room? Uh, what? A lion pound elephant in the room. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> Wrong metaphor. I'm just going to mix metaphors if you guys want. Uh, but <laughs> that's just how I do. Um, the fact in January, Yuji Naka joined Square Enix, and we haven't heard anything about what he's doing. And so, what Wait, if he swoops in? He takes yeah. Yuji Naka joined in January. That was the big news from that from that period. You can look it up. We posted about it. Um, the creative Sonic, he's part of Square Enix as of 2018. And so, <laughs> what if he swoops in and saves the day? <laughs> so fucking awesome. But I don't know. Um, all we got is the news that he joined. We don't have any idea about what he's actually working on. I imagine whatever it is, it's in the early stages. But, um, or maybe he's not involved in game development at all, and he's involved in the business side. But who's to say? Like I, I still am excited to know whatever it is that he's doing over there, because uh, that'll be kind of crazy. But yeah, uh, I should also mention on the same topic of Square Enix, uh, we found out this past week that Dissidia Final Fantasy NT, the arcade brawler that came on the PS4 earlier this year, that's going to be released in Japan as a free-to-play game in a couple weeks on November 22nd. So the whole thing is that it's a stripped-down version, um, as you'd expect. They're taking out the story mode, and instead you'll be able to buy individual characters. Anyone who's played uh, Killer Instinct on uh, Xbox One or PC will be familiar with kind of the format this is taking, where you can take in place in battles, and there will be like set rotating characters that you can uh, play with. Um, and if you purchase them, you'll be able to get the character plus uh, their basic costume set, the basic armor set. Um, it's cosmetic, or you can pay extra money to get special weapons and armor and costumes and stuff like that to add to your character. So, yeah, um, just so far, it's only announced for Japan, uh, but I would not be surprised at all if they do that for the West because, you know, the fact that they're doing it here, I imagine that's like a test pilot to see if it'll work at all for them. Uh, But that's just, you know, taking what is the arcade version and put it on uh, consoles, I guess, because that's kind of what it is. In this case, it's only announced for PS4. Uh, So that's, I figure that was worth talking about. I think Dissidia basically never had a chance. Um, no. not, not, not only in like the month it released in, uh, had Dragon Ball in there as like a more traditional fighting game, um, but Monster like it, and Monster Hunter too. I mean, I was just comparing it to like the most maybe the most similar genre game. But like the fact that even even if Dragon Ball wasn't there, it's such an awkward type of fighter that it doesn't really. 
It's gonna be kind of loud behind me. I think there's like some Mexican music playing. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think the big thing for me with the Cydia is that I never really played it for the fighting mechanics necessarily. I played it for the single player content. I played it for. It's kind of like it was more of a party game than a fighting game for me, and I preferred to play each of the individual characters and the mm-hmm. grinding. It, I felt like it was an action RPG, and then the kind of heel turn they did for uh, nt like i can understand why because they were trying to go for that arcade cabinet in japan and then then they just ported it to console but it's not what i ever wanted from the series and i feel like a lot of people that really enjoyed the games on psp feel the same way yeah absolutely and that's the thing that like you said you mentioned dragon ball fighters and now like if they try to make the game go free to play to get more people playing it's like everyone's already preoccupied with soul caliber 6 so there's art. I mean, that game just took off. Like they did a great job, but that game, especially with the character creation, people can make their own Final Fantasy characters in that and play it as a brawler like they want. Because it seems like whatever it is, the city of Final Fantasy NT, the format is not what, what people really wanted. Where it's like a three-on-three type of game. I think people had a lot more fun with the way it was originally uh, designed, with like one-on-one, like it was. So. Yeah, I think that Square Enix probably had huge esports plans for this game, and it just didn't work out. So, at this point, though, going free to play might be for the best because they'll get some money out of it. But it's hard to say. Um, yeah. So um, let's move on from that, though. All that Square Enix news. Let's talk about Idea Factory. And so, um, the other day, uh, just actually yesterday, in fact, um, Idea Factory held their annual uh, press event. In this case, in San Francisco, where they had a few different announcements. Uh, among them, it was... Uh, I'll get to the another one that we did, but there's Ark of Alchemist, which was that's announced for PS4 uh, in North America and Europe. Um, I don't remember much about this particular game. I just remember that it's being developed by Compileheart. Um, it, it's like a... Ta- they call it a tactical action game. Yeah, that's the and- it, it like it's hard to tell from like quick video clips, but it it looks like it's real time. You're controlling like these characters. They say you like pick a party of three, and you're basically on a sort of battlefield. And it's like an action RPG, but there's also a tactical element to it. Now they recently delayed the game in Japan. It was supposed to come out like this month, and they delayed it to spring. So it'll probably be a while before we see it in yeah. English. But yeah, it just looks like a kind of a tactical like, tactical action is what they call it anyway. Yeah, with so like something a, a little different. Yeah, with like base building aspects, it looks like. So yeah, that's we've yeah, like I said, there's a teaser trailer up on our on our news post, so people want to learn more about that. Did you did someone say something? Uh the concept for it really kind of reminds me a bit of uh, what was that what was that was it Grezzo, um, the the group that did the uh, Legend of Zelda 3DS remakes for Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. That's uh, Grezzo, yeah. Yeah, Grezzo, you right. uh, um, What was the name of their, was it Ever Oasis? I think so. Because I kind of get a similar vibe to Ever Oasis, at least in regards to the concept and what's going on with Ark of Alchemist. Maybe it's just me. Perhaps. I'm not familiar enough with, with Ever Oasis. Yeah. So. All right. So, well, yeah, let's let's move on because there's a couple more of the games. Uh, they also announced the localization of Dragon Star Vernier. Uh, that'll be out this spring. Now, this is the game people may not remember where they collaborated with uh, different illustrators, and they also happen to be working with Neon Falcon, where some of the dragons from the later right. tra- trail series 
like Ragnard from Charles in the Sky and the Dark Dragons or Agruga from Charles of Cold Steel, they'll be making appearances in this game. And so it's got a more mature design to it, which I'm really digging. Uh, and so that's that's this kind of this, this game. This game is in that series that they call Galapagos RPG, which yeah. was the same one that like Fairy Fencer was in. Um, and something else I can't remember, but that's the uh, Death yeah. End Request, which is the number one in the games they had. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I should point out, yeah. So it's in that, like, that's kind of like this weird, like, like they're not in the same franchise, these these games, but like that's their, like, branding of it. So. Yeah. Uh, so more mature storytelling. It's kind of like the Galapagos the RPGs are definitely kind of more uh, adult style to it, uh, even if it's got fan service like you expect. Uh, it's, it's and <laughs> worth mentioning this this game they actually did did say because of Sony's uh, new policies that there's going to be two altered CGs. Yeah, uh, I think you might be getting com- getting it confused with Data Live. No, both of them do. Both of them do. Yeah, they they specifically said this game and Data Live. PS4 version both have two altered CGs. Um, now this game does not have a PC release announced. Now, Idea Factory no has basically <laughs> been very consistent with that, so it'd be kind of surprising if it never did. But they, you know, that's all they can do. It's like, hey, this is what we have to do, and we're gonna. They said it outright. They said it up front, like when they announced the game, the two CGs are gonna be altered. So, yeah. so that's really all they can do uh, for that release you know that's what they have to work with yeah we, we've talked me and james have talked at length about yeah. the any uh, updates regarding the sony censorship which has been the only, yeah the only thing else to say about it is there's no ambiguity it's definitely something that sony is basically going to put on all these developers from now on so um, it's not just isolated incidences it's definitely something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of in the future yeah, who knows? Who knows whether the backlash will be enough for them to change their minds? Probably not, because they have to accord a lot more, and they're a publicly traded company, so that's probably why they don't care. Um, but I, at least I could say I'm glad that when we post about that stuff, that people immediately point the finger to Sony and not Idea Factory. Because yeah, yeah I remember there's a couple of other ones where they they point at the uh, like the dev and. Usually it's the platform holder or uh, the localizer, or, uh, <laughs> or usually it's a platform holder or like a ratings board that you, if you want to point a finger at somebody, you point at them. Yeah. Uh, like for example, with Tales of Berseria, um, that the change the they made for that was yeah. largely due to a German rating right. board. So like people were saying, we're pointing fingers at Bandai Namco. It's like, if you want to point fingers at somebody, if this really, truly upsets you, it's the Germans rating, Germany rating board that basically forced that, forced their hand. So yeah, or else they won't <laughs> anyway. be able to release it in that territory, which would upset a lot yeah. more people that maybe not be, may not be on Twitter and, and can't, you know, be complaining about that stuff. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And also, yes, they also shared a new trailer for death and request, which will be out February 19th in North America and February 22nd in Europe. And now we get to the last game, which you guys already said, Did Live Rio Reincarnation, which is a remastered bundle of the two previous games uh, that they put out since 2016. Uh, they put them together into this one bundle, and that being brought to PS4. So <laughs> I like to joke about this because uh, I even posted about it on our Twitter account back in around April. I made the offhand comment like, uh, counting down to whatever Idea Factory localizes Data Live because I was a big fan of the anime and I knew that they put out the um, the the games which are based on the uh, uh, their visual novels based on the light novels, oh. the original light novels, just like the anime was. Yes. 
You're going to say something? Now, just to clarify, I, I got the rundown from Josh. <laughs> I guess it's it's like three games, actually more than two, or two and a half. It's like a bundle of the two original games, yeah. which were PS3 games, which were never localized, Japan only. And then a third game that was a Vita game, now included as well. So it looks like you basically get everything. So yeah, I think it's because it's a sensible release to have. You get the first two games and then you get the Rio and reincarnation, like post game story. I don't know if it counts as a third game or just kind of like a, an extended epilogue, but you get the first two games and that all together on PS4. So yeah, I think it's also in part, I'm, this might be another Sony policy. Cause remember this being a big issue before, like how we never got that sweet within PSB game, uh, and I think like the Yakuza games before. I think it's that whatever they do when they when when you, I think it's either if they make the game and put it on the platform, or if they want to localize it, it's got to be more than just a bundle of games. They have to actually put some extra work into it. It's the same with like Capcom and their in their fighting games. They have to add extra content on top of it uh, for them to re-release it because otherwise, uh, Sony just feels like you're trying to take advantage of the consumer uh, while trying to you know re-release games like that outside of their you know, the PlayStation 1 classic stuff. But, you know, that's something that I'm really happy about, that they're finally doing this. Uh, it's something that I may, I also, like, asked the president of Idea Factory when I did that interview a couple years ago at a press event for Idea Factory. And so I feel like we played a part in trying to convince them to localize this. And I'm excited, because uh, they're... Just to, just to clarify, there. based on, the, on what we were talking about before, this game is coming out on PS4 and PC. Yeah. It was a PS4 game only in Japan, so they already announced that basically it's coming to PC too. And they basically... Idea Factory literally said outright, the PS4 version will be edited to CG scenes again, but the Steam version will be not. It will yeah, be so basically as it. So. If you don't want to... It's so dumb that we got to make these comments but it's like yeah you know it's it's like when they put out monster mon piece for the psp it had a bunch of uh censored cards because they were too mature for that platform i mean this is going back a while but uh they basically are bringing back that whole problem where when it came to pc it was all uncensored and so this is kind of the thing where like if that bothers you get it on pc considering these are visual novels they're not demanding at all so it might be best just to do it anyway just in case uh but also because you know it's just better to buy those versions on there PS4 is just sure sucks for uh, sure sucks for people that prefer physical copies though. Yeah, it does because the PS4 version is physical and digital. Where on PC, obviously, it's only digital. It's the problem. Like, if it's either going to go with the censored version, or you know, but retain the fact that you have a physical copy and avoid the fact that some of these games get taken down after a while, or if you want to go PC and experience it as it's supposed to be. Um, you know, before I think I had a. a I was like more like as long as it's being localized, I'm happy. I was of that argument, which is you know kind of uh, ignorant at this point because you know the fact that Sony's putting in this policy for things that were perfectly acceptable a, a year ago, like we were talking about the Senma Kagura games coming out on Vita and PS3 and PS4 uh, that had all the content retained, and yeah, and and now it's like now it's an issue. Like I don't, it's it's really backwards because you have a lot of Western games that have just as mature content in them without being touched. And so there's it, this is annoying. been a situation where they've retroactively forced some games to be patched. Like I yes. do, from what I understand, um, Mary Skelter two already released in Asia and uh, Sony basically forced them to um, patch that one mini game out. We all know the one, the one that was in the first game too. Yeah. And, unfor- and apparently because it was such a sudden thing, there were a lot of bugs because of the mini game getting patched out. 
Yeah, uh, those games are are aren't, aren't always well optimized to begin with. But once you do something like that, where you have to like edit content, you anytime you make any co- edits to a game, you're going to encounter extra bugs on that stuff. So yeah, the fact that they now, threw out the policy means it might it was likely last minute. Now this is complete speculation on my part, but I was actually kind of surprised that they didn't announce a localization for that at this press event, considering that game released before. Dragon Star Varnier and Ark of Alchemist, which isn't even out in Japan yet. Like it released before those two games. And I wonder if maybe trying to navigate Sony's policy is a part of that. Like, okay, we're not exactly sure how we're going to do this yet. So let's just hold off. I mean, that's total speculation on my part, but it's weird feeling, that they didn't mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I have a feeling if it might be one of those things where it ends up coming like a year down the line as a PC only release, if Sony's policies become too much of a burden for them, because they've done that a few times. I mean, the only good thing you could say about that, and apologies if I cut you off from anything further, James, but um, the only thing I'll say is that because they have to get approval, the fact that Sony moved their headquarters to the West, that's why they do the whole like, you know, it has to be approved through an English board um, for localization. Uh, it would mean that anything they would have to cut out in the Japanese release would more most likely mirror whatever we get in the West, just because they're the ones that approved it to begin with. And so at least there's that, like you can kind of see things coming, even if it's a terrible situation altogether. Like at least we like know, like okay, whatever's going to be edited in the Mary Skelter two Japanese release or the Asian release anyway is most likely what we're going to see happen to the Western side. So it's like nothing extra likely could be done because they've already gone through that process. The only thing is that, like, you know, if they have to reapprove everything again through the ratings board, like, I, I would kind of hope that they would take care of that all that up front. But it also makes me feel bad for whoever has to localize those games because they have to spend the tens of thousands of dollars to get it approved through the ESRB once more, even if Sony's like, okay, we've already cut whatever was the prom to begin with. So, I don't know. It's... It's just terrible, and it makes me wonder how many games are going to be localized at this point. You know, we were in such a good spot so recently where it's like way more games than usual were being localized because more and more were being accepted in terms of whatever content they had. Now Sony's doing this policy where it's like Japan, uh, people in Japan will be like, all right, I don't even want to localize this game that I made anyway because it will mean having to go through this approval process, and I don't want to cut anything, or if I do, I don't have to spend all that uh, spend all that money an effort to do so. So all these visual novels or Atomic games or anything like that, they'll end up staying in Japan. Yeah, or going to Switch. Yeah, most uh, Switch winning out on this. Sony's doing this dumb thing. Or like we talked about before, you and I, James, about Microsoft swooping in and taking full advantage of that. Like, bring your visual novels to our system. We were doing it before. Let's do it again. And this time you won't be censored for it. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Anyway... Let's move on from there. So yeah, those are the big announcements from my dear factory. Congrats, to those all those great games coming out here. I was. I, say- I, I feel like I should mention that they did not talk about Super Neptunia RPG. Yeah, uh, well, they delayed that. Yeah. Well, I just want to mention that when when we played that game at E3, it was bad. <laughs> like it was the studio's first game, and it was bad. I want to just kind of. It's not the it's it and it's well to yeah. be fair, like they it's the people that made Super Neptunia. Some of them also made that Zodiac game for mobile. Uh, I forget what it was called, but like it wasn't that good either. And so I'm yeah. Zodiacs. Yeah. Zodiacs, yeah. That's it was like, like Age of Zodiacs or nah, like Children that. of Zodiacs. Children nah. of the Zodiacs. Yeah, it was yeah. Zodiac Stones. Uh, but yeah. 
that's um it uh it didn't it didn't give a great impression so i imagine that's also the reason they delayed it is because they needed to clean it up uh and make it more interesting but i imagine it's because they just literally had nothing else to share for that game because they've got all their time is limited as it were and they want to do it uh they want to focus on these games but i do imagine it was playable at the event because they always have some demos set up uh james knows as much as i do about that stuff so imagine it was there uh like mega dimension i don't think was talked about last um idea factory press event but they had a playable there too so all right so moving on from that let's talk about some east stuff and so neon falcon just talked about them a little bit ago uh they announced in their fiscal earnings for the quarter that they were working on some new uh, a new east title that'll be out by next september it seems like falcon basically owns the month of september (laughs) because they always put stuff out there so um whatever east nine it's not an east five remake like we were kind of hoping for but it's going to be the next entry in the series james i'll have you take this over since you're the expert of this stuff like i am there's a bit more here than uh just um the yeah. east news i kind of want to mention it Please um do. next year very specifically and falcom even outright pointed to this in their earnings call next year is the 15 year anniversary for the trail series and Man, they're planning things to kind of uh um commemorate it so we might be seeing ports and other sorts of stuff to other platforms so that's something might be interesting those might get localized like if, if there was any possibility for like Crossbell, for example, to be officially localized, if there was like, say, a port to switch through one of their partners, this might be a good opportunity for that. But uh, Ease 9 is definitely the most interesting thing, along with another thing they mentioned, basically saying that they're going to continue focusing on multi-platform and global uh, kind of spread for their releases. Yeah. Which makes me kind of wonder with... I think everyone at this point, even if uh, NIS America really messed up Ease 8, they definitely it definitely sold well, and the whole thing with the Switch port was also very beneficial for Falcom. So it seems likely that East 9 will be also handled by NIS, especially if they continue to do Switch ports for them, yeah. which I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. I do wonder if that... if because of how well the Switch version of Ease 8 did internationally, if uh, perhaps NISJ has already gotten access to source code and has already started work on a Switch version alongside Falcom. Yeah. And if I that's mean, the case, I, I do wonder how that would impact like the pipeline for the localization and whether or not, okay, it's going to release before the end of September in Japan, but when's it going to come out in the West? Maybe that'll have an impact on when it actually gets released and localized for yeah. the Western I, I mean, feel like I should mention that, like, it seems like this new East title is going to have a much better uh, timeline from announcement to release than Eight did. Uh, <laughs> oh, they when, were when put on eight... new platforms, so I imagine that was the big problem they faced on the PC. Well, yeah, that, that's 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 exactly why. But when, yeah. when was Eight announced? It was like announced like TGS 2015. Am I am I going too far back? 14. 14. Yeah, Jeez. you didn't go back far and enough. <laughs> yeah, and it took them like two years to reveal it, um, like officially after that, and give it a title. Yeah, um, like yeah. If, oh, to be fair, they revealed it at TGS 2014, and then it released in Japan in July or no, late June 2016. So it wasn't that bad. It was just and the different took- platforms too. They delayed it um, as well. Yeah, it was Vita first, and then PS4 yeah. later. Um, yeah, it definitely seems it- like. Um, Falcom has got a decent amount of experience under their belt for PlayStation 4 at this point. They've released, uh, I believe, four titles for it. 
not in count, not counting the ports for uh, Cold Steel one and two because yeah. they've done Ease eight, Tokyo Xanadu, Sen three, Sen four. So yeah, that's four plus the ports. So that's good. <laughs> Sen three um, and Sen four. Acting like that was that was in the decks all along, not the fact that it was going to be one game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, point being, they've had a lot of experience with the platform. They yeah. generally understand and. It, it helps that considering um, Falcom is definitely a more budgeted studio that their types of games won't really have much issue running on PlayStation 4 or Switch in this case too, probably. It should be interesting to see if they still make that date because they have been no stranger to delays in the past. But I feel like they'll do well. Um, one of the ever interesting things is that uh, we know that's not the ever that's not the only East game that's releasing by the end of September. It could be ports. We do know that the East Altago game, which we'll talk about later, which is a mobile kind of. We'll talk about it right now, man. Just go ahead. It's, it's uh, a good remaster. time. Um, one of the things I'm kind of thinking is that they actually kind of teased uh, Ease versus Senno Kiseki and Tokyo Zan- uh, Zanadu EX Plus alongside the first like kind of concept art for Sen Three. And we haven't heard anything about it. They've kind of been mum about whether or not it was an actual like teaser or announcement for it. But uh, East versus Sora no Kiseki, the first one for that kind of sub-series, reused the battle system for Me 7 was, for all intents and purposes, a really quick, really easy game that, that um, for Falcom to release. So I do wonder if we might actually see East versus Sun no Kiseki, like, suddenly just release next year because they pull a similar situation that they did with East versus Sword no Kiseki. Probably. Certainly had a lot, uh, a long enough time since they've teased it that it could happen next year as well, especially since they're saying that they're trying to release multiple East projects next year. Yeah. And we already know two of them. So, yeah. Um, I mean, let's uh, not, let's not get, let's not get around ourselves. Like unless idea factory is doing it or some other company swoops in, it seems pretty obvious that whatever Falcom is going to be localizing, it'll be handled by Nice America at some point, whether it's the cross bell or the, uh, the, the, the Sen Sen three and Sen four, or the East games, because Brittany and Tom have left X seed. Nick left already. And, and even, even other people who helped them were freelancers. Like, yeah, like they Chris. would not. Oh, sorry. Um, Go ahead. I mean, like other people who helped on Senno or Kills of Cold Steel, talking about the localization, like they hired a couple of freelancers for that. So they're not Exceed employees either. Yeah, um, they to help out on that. So. They would not have left Exceed if they were working on big projects like that because that's the stuff they love and they talk so fondly about. So the fact that they announced that they're leaving the company and some of them don't really have any big plans for what to do next, it just makes me feel like it's because they're disappointed they didn't get the whatever the rights to those games, which is really disappointing almost depressing to think about because they poured so much heart into the localizations for those games and the recent releases of trails of cold steel on on ps4 or like the big plans to localize those games on ps4 it seems like they're going to be working up with contractors until those games are out uh and yeah it seems like nice america's taken over but you know people forget like when Exceed started off with the East games on the DS, you know, when those came out, they were kind of rough. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so, like, I imagine, uh, you know, Nice America, I assume, will have, the, you know, their head of the ground, like, their, their ear to the fan community way more. I'm going to keep mixing up metaphors if you guys like, but uh, th- what I generally mean is just that, you know, they're going to be working a lot closer with them. And I imagine, you know, uh, who was it? What's the guy who does the PC optimization stuff for... Durante? Durante, yeah, Durante. I meant they'll probably be working closer with him and the rest of like the fan transition community, like XC does. 
So yeah, there's actually something funny about that with the Durante thing. Um, right when um uh, the information about the Trails of Cold Steel one and two PC ports getting the update with the additional voices and whatnot a few weeks ago, um, a few people I followed on Twitter were making jokes about how uh, Xseed like really put a lot more effort into the uh, Trails of Cold Steel port versus how NIS uh, handled the uh, Ease Eight port, hmm. and uh, just like an hour ago or so. Uh, Tom from formerly from Xseed, I saw uh, liked one of my tweets where I was where I was uh, comparing the two. So I, uh, he's probably a very opinion. I mean, Tom's go, so people don't know Tom's going off to do a teaching program in Japan. So he said he has been planning on doing this for a while. But I once again, I don't imagine he would have cut off and gone if it meant he was working on a big project like the Trails games or something. But and Brittany, of course, like I said, and she's also been a huge part of that. People who have gone to like. E3 or Anime Expo or anything like that, and more likely encountered her talking a lot about the Falcom games. So, you know, best of luck to them, obviously, uh, and to the other people. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Nick is working with Nexon America, maybe working yes. on that Final Fantasy XI remake that continues oh to be in development for mobile. Um, anyway, that's. I just want to mention that it seems pretty obvious, so I think the sooner people accept it, the better. But I just hope that okay. East America doesn't get full of themselves and learns from their terrible mistakes, because, boy, that was a shit show. <laughs> I think the best, um, the best thing that could happen for the localizations is... If because NSJ is working with Falcom on ports, maybe then Falcom will allow NS America to have access to say the scripts a bit earlier because yeah. they already know that they're going to be localized. <laughs> These are also don't games. localize East right next to Danganronpa three again. Oh, that was <laughs> they, a nightmare! Oh, huge, oh my gosh, they had two they huge projects. <laughs> That, that was probably a big contributor. They had those two huge projects basically releasing simultaneously. Okay, there was a couple of weeks there, but... Uh, there's a story about this. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think I can probably say this. But basically, the producer on that uh, um, for East 8, Alan Costa, he actually told me at the press event in February that he he went, while he was going all around, like helping what Kondo with interviews and whatnot in both uh, North America and Europe, uh, he'd ask him about, hey, how's the translation actually going anyways? And he said, he since Costa wasn't actually able to take a look at the translation, he was only assuming it was good. And it was uh, once he got back that he actually pushed NIS for the uh, translation update because uh, that says a lot about how well managed that project was. Well, and, and to yeah. mention Danganronpa V3, um, they had a panel about that game before it came out at Anime Expo. And they basically said they assigned separate editors to each character Kind of like, you know, it's, it's almost like a shit show. Kind of like Persona 5. There was problems with that. Danganronpa V3, when they said that, I'm like, oh, they probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that seems like they're really stretching themselves thin. And they've got all these different Persona projects. Huh? At least with Persona 5, it seems fairly obvious that they had a very, very short window of time to get that translated. Like something like four or five months. So if that was the case, then I'm actually kind of impressed with how well they managed to get that game translated. <laughs> Well, Persona Five was delayed. Remember, like they had, they gave they threw in the Japanese dual audio as like a yeah, gift. Yeah, they delayed it. But <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you remember this, but I very specifically remember like around uh, February uh, that folks like Greg Miller on Kind of Funny were mentioning that they had already gotten access to the game like through dev kits, which meant that okay, it had been delayed, but oh, the translation was already done by February, which means that. If they just started translating it after it came out in Japan, at or once this once the game was finalized in Japan, and say like late August, 
then that makes sense. It would only be like what five months to get the translation editing done. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, that's actually that's more common than you think because a lot of companies have to put up with that, and that's obviously stressful for them. I should mention we also got an early copy on a dev kit version, and so we could tell the differences. But there were patches put out later, so that's kind of the thing. Like even if we got an early access to it, they were still working on it clearly. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. One so, last thing I just want to mention go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. About, the, about, about the actual mainline East title that's released next year. It, it makes sense that they'll be able to do that because it's, it seems like it's going to be a pretty direct follow-up to uh, East 8. Like, did they say it's actually a direct sequel? Uh, um, yes, Kondo did say that. And as far as we can tell, there's, well, there was a ton of hints in Ease 8 basically pointing to uh, Adol directly going to the ROM Empire, which is like the biggest... like. Empire. That's the thing they haven't really explored yet in the yeah, series. That's not really. So that's cool. They made a big deal about it. There was a lot of hints to it. So definitely seems like they already knew they wanted to go. Like people were assuming it was going to be East 5 because they also had like the little like nods to East 5, especially like the sword at the very beginning of East 8 was the sword from East 5. But it definitely seems like that um, Falcom has a plan for what they want to do with the East series. Um, for the next couple of installments, which I guess is good because that means that it should be relatively simple development because they just, okay, here's what we want to do. Here's like a time frame, And that's good to know. Especially if, if it follows a similar time, time frame to the recent uh, Cold Steel games in Japan or the Seno Kaseki 3 and 4, it'll be announced in December and it'll release next September. Yeah, something probably. like that. Yeah, that's probably probably what's going to happen anyway. If it follows the timeline, I mean, like it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what they've been doing. So yeah, we'll see if it happens. Um, should also mention that uh, this is just related to the mobile platform in general. It's that uh, Blizzard also announced during their uh, what do they call BlizzCon? Uh, they, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they announced Diablo, 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 Immortal which is a mobile MMORPG for Android and iOS. Obviously, that didn't go over well with the, with the crowd, uh, but you know, to me, I think that actually sounds pretty cool. Like, I think it really fits the platform a lot. And just so people know, the whole setup is that this takes place between the events of Diablo 2, Lord of Destruction, which is the expansion pack, and the beginning of Diablo 3. And that it says it'll include six different classes, including Barbarian, Crusader, Demon Hunter, Monk, Necromancer, and Wizard. It also mentions that it's being developed by NetEase, which, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think they worked on that Dynasty Warriors game. Uh, probably. They do a bunch of mobile stuff in Japan or yeah. China. Oh, on Miyoji, which uh, Cosmo will be happy to know about. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, just a lot of those types of games. But yeah, like, it, it basically games. seems like a watered down Diablo 3, which I don't mean watered down as a negative thing kind of have to if you're going to put it on a mobile platform. Now, the reason why people were upset was, you know, the people who attend these, who spend money to attend these conferences and schedule them and fly out there are usually the hardest of the hardcore. And they wanted, you know, something for PC or something more for them. Like, you know, they already, Blizzard basically said that they're not announcing Diablo 4. Um, but maybe they maybe they wanted a Diablo 2 remaster on PC or something like that. And the mobile game is, I think, a fine idea, but it was kind of for a different audience. So yeah. it was I kind of a mismatch the, there. Okay. I think the biggest problem with the Diablo Immortal announcement was that, yeah, they did say that they weren't going to have any major announcements. But that was like three weeks before BlizzCon. And like months before then, they were kind of trying to hype it up with Diablo stuff. 
So yeah, they eventually kind of pulled it back, but everyone like not everyone sees everything that Blizzard puts out or what any company puts out. They might have yeah. seen the drumming up hype, but once it got close to BlizzCon, they just weren't really paying attention. We're just waiting for BlizzCon. Yeah, but that's and their own fault, it, honestly, because <laughs> if they if they yeah. were so excited about that, they should have been aware of the reports, especially if they're going to an event I, I, catered to hardcore fans. You know, I, I think I, I do think the reaction to the announcement was not good but i'm definitely not gonna really defend blizzard because it wasn't the place to announce this game i don't think it just wasn't i mean it went over as well as the command and conquer mobile game which is you know yeah. to be expected um but i was actually curious like cosma in our discord chat mentioned uh something about lost ark people don't know like a few years ago there was some crazy amazing high quality footage of this game that looked very similar to diablo but way more animated and fluid than you'd expect like it would be potentially what a diablo forward looked like um apparently that went into open beta in south korea and so uh we might cover some more of that game, I think, because it seems pretty cool. Like that's the kind of stuff. Like I think that would this this kind of game would tie over people until the eventual release of Diablo Four. But I want to just say, yeah, Diablo Immortal. As long as they don't change the formula too much, it would still be a fun game. Like I would love to have Diablo Two on mobile, honestly, because I think that would be it. Really work. You know, all you do is hold down. It's just like any mobile game nowadays. Is I like click and drag your character and tap to attack. That's just what you're basically doing with the mouse on, on those games. Diablo Three, of course, is not as simple as that. Um, but you know, could potentially look good. Almost. The gameplay look good. So who knows? Yeah. I guess we briefly went over it like when we were talking about Falcom stuff, but uh, if you missed it, we did mention that uh, um, I'm not sure if it, it's a Chinese company, I think, that's releasing it, but there's a mobile game called Yi Zaltago that's releasing You did China. talk about it, uh, but I was... Briefly. I, I, told you, I told you to go ahead and talk about it, but I don't know if you heard me. So I think we got yeah. sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, we got sidetracked. That's my bad. Okay. Um, basically, it's looks like a remake remaster mobile port type deal for e7 i mean if you've played e7 altago well it's that same characters like if there's some screenshots out in the trailer and it's basically e7 just mobile game with uh, some different character models and whatnot so i don't know maybe somebody will localize it i have my doubts but interesting i guess yeah it's it's cool, and it obviously expands the foray into the mobile market, which Falcom, you know, they're such a small company. Someone made the comment that, you know what, I bet Dion Falcom opens a studio in the West. I'm like, no. Of all the studios I can think of, Falcom is probably the least likely to do something like that, you know? <laughs> the thing I expect to happen is a similar thing with uh, Spike Chunsoft and Mages. Spike Chunsoft has a partnership with Mages where they're basically not just Spike Chunsoft West, but also Mages West. And I feel like um, yeah. with how things are going with NSJ and Falcom, then this is probably going to hurt for a lot of people to hear. But it just makes sense that you could see a similar deal with NIS America and Falcom, similar to how what Spike is doing with Mages. Yeah, I think it'd have like basically like a studio within it. But yeah, it, it seems like I mean, I think people were comparing Falcom's potential to do something like that with Spike Chunsoft and uh, Arc System Works, but those are also publishers. They publish a lot of games, and so it made. It would make a lot of sense for them to take over their operations so that they have more control over the uh, the properties that they already own. They don't have to pay somebody else. So, yeah, Nice America, if they're going to take on a bigger role like that, potentially could happen. Uh, I don't think Nice America is, or Nice 
in general is of a size where they could say, you know, acquire the company. Um, but certainly, well, we're not saying acquiring. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, you know, if that ever came to happen. Obviously, we're not talking about that now. I just mean as far as like them taking full control of it, like Koei Tecmo and Gust, for example. Like Gust used to be, uh, 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 Nice America used to publish Gust's games. Like if you look at the old Atelier games, um, which makes it funny that the fact that the Atelier Ramona collection, the Arlen trilogy, is going to be out on PC in a month, care of Koei Tecmo, considering the those games were published by Nice America in the first place. Funny thing about that um, yeah. is uh, um, Durante actually reached out to Koei Tecmo on Twitter about helping with the PC port, and they actually responded to him. So of course we, they did. <laughs> <laughs> they need that. I mean, the two of their games could be better, honestly. Some of their optimi- optimizations are kind of iffy at best. Um, I mean, Koei Tecmo in general the, uh, pops on the PC. Remember when Atlas USA and Nice America had that partnership? It feels like forever ago now. It does. It does feel like a long time ago. I mean, it was. I mean, you also had like, um, what was it? Uh, Anissa. Well, now it's at- go. What? Uh, well, now Atlas USA worked with like Deep Silver for like European releases. Yeah. So. I mean, there was also the Nisa character from the uh, from the Nisa America, the Nisa character showing up in Idea Factory's Hyperdimension series. It was like everyone's kind of broken away from each other, and it's kind of sad. There's not as much collaboration going on. Although Falcom properties to end up being in weird spots like they're in the dead or alive games <laughs> so who knows like they have those costumes uh so yeah they're willing to license their stuff out without a big problem anyway uh last bit of news that we want to talk about so today microsoft held their xo 18 event they haven't had anything like this in over a decade uh which is their global version of their fan event and they had a bunch of announcements to make a lot of it was centered around their game pass service uh, also, backwards compatibility. They announced that Final Fantasy XIII, XIII II, and Lightning Returns will all be showing up on their backwards compatibility service on Monday. They also showed some stuff on Crackdown 3. Apparently, the first Crackdown is free until November 30th. Not really relevant, but I figured I'd just point that out in case people want to get a free game. Uh, it's worth talking about it. But the big thing that we want to talk about here outside of that new Kingdom Hearts 3 trailer I mentioned before, uh, they confirmed something we had previously reported. Uh, It was originally from Kotaku, of course, but uh, apparently Obsidian Entertainment has been acquired by Microsoft. Uh, They released a video video message announcing the news as well. But the other bit of news from that same uh, announcement was that Microsoft's also acquired In Exile Entertainment. The people that made Torment, Tides of Numenera, uh, they worked on the Wasteland 2 and 3, uh, and the Bard's Tale 4 game that just came out. Um, Yeah, They've acquired both studios, which is great for them. I mean, when I see all these messages about people poo-pooing all the whole thing, it's like, you know, these companies were in pretty bad financial dire straits, like Obsidian especially, like not long ago. And, of course, we all know that Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire, apparently the sales numbers are not that great. And so it makes sense that they would need some uh, with the back, uh, the financial backing, like Microsoft, a gigantic company with huge amounts of, you know, money in the bank that they could help them, uh, you know, make the games that they want to without having to worry about going through crowdfunding sites all the time to make whatever they want to make and determine whether that uh, the scale of the project based on how much money they get from there. And I imagine after a while, Obsidian might not be getting as much money from Fig because people may not be happy with the products that they're putting out. Um, so, yeah, I think that's great for them. 
Uh, and and Exile should point out something that also was reported last month that we kind of paid close attention to. Brian Fargo, who is the uh, founder of In Exile Entertainment, said, not said, but it seems to be implied by Chris Avalone that he's their company is working on Baldur's Gate three. So it makes it make me think that, and this is something I commented on the news post about that maybe it's that with that extra financial support. Brian Fargo maybe has been able to get the license and is working on this game. This may be in part of why there's all this conversation about it because they've been able to. There is also this is yeah. also a little bit of scuttlebutt. No, but you should. First of, all, for who, for, first of all, for people who don't know, like Brian Fargo is one of those guys. He's been like doing this for you know longer than I've been alive. He's been doing this since the eighties. He's been Early still Interplay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, he was the founder of Interplay, uh, and I know there was basically some speculation i'm not sure how baseless that he was you know thinking of retiring soon like hanging it up because uh maybe some things he said maybe people looking too much into it but at the end of the video that he that he showed at the microsoft event he actually said i have no plans to retire anytime soon <laughs> if, if they got Baldur's gate that'd be a reason why not to retire yet no hell no um, uh and i guess chris Avalone on twitter people can look on his account he just said that was a surprise the fact that in exile is being acquired as well as obsidian I think Chris already assumed. So people who don't know, really quick, Chris Avalone had a huge falling out with Obsidian's upper management, and that's why he was let go, and apparently he couldn't work on any RPG projects or even talk about them for quite a while, up until pretty recently, with some of the stuff he's been uh, you know, uh, uh, closely allied with, um, being a part of different projects like Dying Light 2. Um, but yeah, so anytime you look on his Twitter account, there's some bitterness there, <laughs> to say the yeah, least. There's some beef. There's some um, beef. I, but uh, it's worth mentioning, like for both Obsidian and In Exile, like In Exile's like most recent games, Bard Sale 4, we unfortunately didn't ever get around to that, at least in the RPG Heck Month that was no, uh, September. Yeah, that was not way a good too busy. But apparently it's done pretty well. I mean, as was received well critically anyway. Um, but that was a Kickstarter. Um, they released Torment in 2017. That was a Kickstarter. They released Wasteland 2. That was a Kickstarter. I think they had a they had a Kickstarter for Wasteland 3. Like they're they're kickstarting everything. Um, they have to get funding from crowdfunding. And so being acquired by a studio like Microsoft or business like Microsoft with money is a, a huge advantage to them. They don't have to worry about kickstarting all the time. Yeah. Like all their projects. And same with Obsidian. Like Obsidian, uh, I'm not sure if Tyranny which is a Paradox game. Paradox publisher was kickstarted, but Pillars of Eternity was. Yeah, Pillars of Eternity 2 was Fig. Um, so, yeah, like these companies have been relying, having to basically necess- necessarily rely on Kickstarters to, to make games. And if they can get money from a company like Microsoft to make similar types of games, and Microsoft has stated that they want to keep them independent like as much as they can, of course. I mean, um, they would not have but, signed those contracts if they didn't be able to keep retain their independence so yeah yeah so i think it's a good thing that somebody is giving them money um to to make what they want to make and hopefully they won't be hamstrung by uh budgets as much as they have been so and who knows yeah i mean and if it means that microsoft can work with sega to get the licensing rights to alpha protocol 2 it can still happen they'll just have more money to do so that they had before you know i don't think that is out of the question either um or a spiritual success. I don't know what they want to do. Uh, but yeah, I think that's great. Honestly, uh, it makes a lot of sense from a Microsoft standpoint because it means building up their first-party library and second-party, I guess, also in that case. Um, 
building up their Game Pass service. We'll get like old Obsidian and and Exile games on the Game Pass service. And also, you know, more RPGs, like bigger, better RPGs, like medium and large sized RPGs. I, I think there's nothing wrong with this decision at all. I think it's only good news because it means that people won't be complaining about how restricted and low quality and you know like it's it's there's not much to some of these games because they don't have much in funding like you know these games i think was it um uh tim tim schaefer mentioned this before it's like okay so he got you know eight or nine million dollars for one of those games on kickstarter or he had one of the biggest kickstarting projects ever um he mentioned psychonauts i believe well, maybe it's full throttle. That cost him twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three million dollars to make, and so they're getting a lot less from that on Kickstarter. So unless they have outside equity and investors, um, there's not much they can do with that money. The games that Obsidian used to make, like say Fallout New Vegas, that's like fifty, sixty, seventy million dollars. Like those are huge games, even if they may not seem it, even if they're using assets like that. So they need this money to make the games that fans want. And so, you know, people can't have it both ways. I mean, I get I get there's some upset about this. Like, I can get the complaint that, okay, this means the, their games are just going to be on the Microsoft Windows Store, which is going to be kind of, yeah, maybe. Like, no, uh, I mean, they're bringing some stuff to Steam, but, like, that's for, yeah. like, old games. For new games, it, potential is there that'll only come to Windows Store. But honestly, like, for me... Like uh, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, no one knows what the future holds. But yeah. if, if our options were this or Obsidian and Exile just shut down their doors in two years, this is obviously preferable. Yeah, uh, as you said, Exile looked like it was going that way because considering retirement, and of course, Obsidian has been in financial dire straits for a bit now, so they kind of needed this to survive. And the last thing people want to see is either of them shut their doors. So now, my pipe dream, and you know, maybe I should let it go, <laughs> is that they re that is that they release some sort of follow up to Alpha Protocol. Yeah, now that's got the whole that's got the whole Sega angle in there. Too. Too, which makes it even weirder but i mean they that, got, like i said like game. i said they got the money to do it now they could potentially no. still get the rights to it so all right so well yeah let's let's go ahead and wrap things up then i think we've covered pretty much all the topics that are worth going over the past couple weeks and so let you guys know where you can find us you can always find us on rpgsite.net I should mention that I recently posted an interview that I had with the director and producer of Valkyrie Chronicles 4. It's like a post-mortem. One of my favorite things from that interview is that he mentioned that the new Grenadier class was the result of a bug they encountered in Valkyrie Chronicles 1. You know, when you're supposed to be running, uh, when you're trying to run around, uh, you sometimes get interception fire from tanks. They're supposed to be using their machine guns. Instead, they were using their main cannons <laughs> to shoot at them. <laughs> and so they took that idea of that bug anyway and turned that into the Grenadier class. So that's why uh, they wanted to do something with that. But yeah, there's a lot of other great stuff in there too, so be sure to check that out. We have another interview in the works right now. I hope to get up pretty soon, which is with uh, War Inspector of the underworld uh, ascendant game that's going to be out next week um so be look out for that hopefully that'll be up soon also you can find us on twitter at rpg site actually i should also mention before i continue on is that we've also got a review from which is house mv from uh cosmo so check that out too uh you can also find us on facebook facebook.com slash rpg site net youtube.com slash rpg site net like I mentioned, I'll be putting up the videos from the Extra Life 2018 stream, including Adam, other Adam's uh, Xenogears stream that he did. He did played some more of that game, so I'll have the videos from that. Um, 
have to talk to Liz about potentially getting Dragon Quest 3 up there as well. Uh, I think she was still pondering whether to do so, because it's her stream after all, so it's up to her. Um, and yeah, we'll have other stuff there too. Also, you can find us on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. Just search for TetraCast and our Discord link, discord.me slash RPG site. Join in the conversation regarding everything that happened today with the Microsoft event and, of course, any games out right now. You can also find us on Twitter. So where can they find you on Twitter, James? You can find me at the suite at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. And where can they find you, Adam? K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. You can find me, as always, at Zach Reese. So thank you, James and Adam, for being a part of this edition of the podcast and everyone out there for listening. And catch us next week, hopefully, cross our fingers, that we don't skip another one, yeah. for yet another edition of the TetraCast Bye, everyone.